0: Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode, we're pleased to welcome Jordan LaRose, Global Director of Infrastructure Security at NCC Group, and Mick Reynolds, Director of Intelligence at SEC Alliance. Jordan and Mick discuss cyber threat intelligence, focusing on three key areas. Why we should share cyber threat intelligence and the benefits that come from this, how that intelligence can be shared and the types of intelligence that we should be looking to share across the different levels of intelligence itself. We hope you enjoy the episode.
1: So Jordan, just sort of addressing that sort of first question, then sort of coming back to why we should share threat intelligence. What are your thoughts around this from your side?
2: Yeah, so working across the cybersecurity industry, this is a question I get from plenty of clients. You know, they're they're asking me, you know, what are the benefits, right? I'm, I'm sharing this information with others. Uh, maybe I'm getting some myself, but uh, you know it's it's hard to see sort of a direct uh, line drawn between the benefits of of sharing intelligence uh, with other peers in the industry um, I think one of the one of the benefits that we've seen happen recently and one that's pretty uh, pretty heavily into the the news right now is that there's been a lot of takedown of ransomware groups there's been a lot of decline in the profitability of you know the attackers and and ransomware in general. I think the overall profitability of ransomware has dropped about 100% over the last year. Um, And threat intelligence plays a large part in that. It's something where, you know, everybody contributing to that larger effort, everybody sharing the techniques, tactics, procedures that they see, the indicators of compromise, all of these things that, you know, are, are going through these platforms those are informing those entities that are, are out there and combating them, whether they be cybersecurity firms or uh, international police agencies, uh, it could be uh, one of the ones in the U.S. that we have, the FBI um, is very active in threat intelligence communities. Um, all of that information, however small um, that's contributed by each one of these organizations, uh, contributes to that overall goal of diminishing the presence of attackers and diminishing the profitability and, and success of their operations out there in the wild. So that, I think, is a key benefit because it's it's a a chance to be part of the greater good, I think, when, when you're talking about threat intelligence. Um, does that match your experience within the industry as well? It does. I mean, again, I think it's a sort of an interesting sort of point as well, because the
1: more that, that information is being shared, the more you've got that collaboration with the groups working together. I think all we, what you're looking to do there is you're increasing the cost really for threat actors to do business within that sector or that region. So if you're all working together, you're understanding the campaigns, how they're being deployed, how they're being uh, used, and you're able to rapidly put defenses in place. What you're looking to do is you're effectively removing yourselves from being that low-hanging fruit that they're looking for and you're just creating that more resilient sector-wide uh, a- approach overall I mean is that something that
2: you're seeing over with the U.S. as well? Absolutely yeah I, I think uh, there's a lot of sort of side benefits to, uh, to sharing intelligence you know you get a lot of engagement with your community there are a lot of streams and, and sort of platforms that you can share through which I think we'll get to in a bit but um, in terms of you know, engaging with all of those other businesses that are honestly in, in the same place that you are when you're you know, looking to share intelligence, um, it's always that question of, you know, is it worth it to share this information? Am I really going to get something out of it? But I think once you start that process and you start engaging with your peers and you know, talking to them about the challenges that they have, uh, a lot of times, that can be the difference between a successful incident response and you know that one that one technique that you missed and that one backdoor that you didn't know about um, you know turning into something that really heavily impacts your network. Um, I've seen it personally, actually, where uh, I've worked on incident response cases where you know the FBI has come in. Um, they've said, "Hey, this is the situation." Here's all of the intelligence we've collected on this attacker, uh, and they arm us with it as incident responders and, and, you know, essentially give us the the tools that we need to combat this stuff because ultimately, you know, a ransomware attacker can finish their job and completely ransom a network within a matter of hours sometimes. Um, So having all of this intelligence stored up, pre-baked, and and ready to go, um, either it being from one of your streams or through a stream provided by, you know, a authority like the FBI um, can be an a invaluable asset in combating these types of threats. So, uh, you know, and all of that information comes from individual contributors sharing that intelligence. You know, the FBI, while they're out there on the field and, and they're co- collecting things, you know, each each individual person is going to have a different experience. The attacker is going to pull out different tools and different, you know, backdoors, ODAs, whatever it is. Um, so everybody sharing that information together is is really the best way to to combat these types of diverse threats that we see from these groups. Um, have you had any firsthand experience as well with, you know, threat intelligence and its use in response against malicious actors?
1: Uh, yeah. And again, I think in in a previous role, I mean, one of the the first questions always used to, whenever you see a, a campaign kicking off or you see an event that would happen, is the first thing you'd have is a CISO coming straight in and sort of saying, okay, um, what have we got on this? Are we susceptible? Are we going to be affected by this? And I think one of the the benefits really from having that collective or that shared pool of intelligence um, is you're able to reach out very quickly to any of your peers, especially if any of them have been affected by this campaign, get those indicators, quickly run those through, test your own resilience and be able to respond fairly quickly. Because I think sometimes otherwise the, the time lag the timeliness that it takes to actually get those indicators in place have to run simulations i mean you could be sometimes talking days before you're even in a position to sort of go and give that sort of solid answer i think if you've got the right type of network in place you've got the right type of uh, simulations that you can run afterwards uh, you can sort of normally respond within hours rather than days or even weeks sometimes i suppose it the way i sort of look at that is it's almost like a collective defense isn't it because we're with, we're trying to sort of pull those resources. So it, you're not just trying to rely on yourself having just that CTI capability within your own organization. Um, I mean, you are effectively looking for that strength in numbers. So you're given that exponential sort of increase really in your own capability. So it's not just the platforms you've got access to or the tools you've got access to. You've got feeds
2: effectively coming from everybody else that's part of that membership or part of that community with you. I think everybody remembers Log4J and Log4Shell, the, the impact that that had. Um, I think that was even less than a year ago still, but um, you know, when, when that happened uh, the the first way that I heard about that was not the CBE disclosure. It was not the, you know, sort of news articles or what have you. It was through a threat intelligence stream because there was a malicious actor out there exploiting that vulnerability before it really even hit the press. Um, and through that stream, you know, we sat down as security practitioners. There were business owners. There were people in that room, like you know, Microsoft and Google, um, all sitting down together and essentially saying, "Here's what we're seeing on our network, on our front line uh, around this vulnerability. You know, what do you guys see?" Uh, and it's a very natural discussion. It's a very sort of open forum. Obviously, we're not sharing any you know PII or anything, but what we're doing is essentially giving each other those pieces of that wider puzzle all of those ways because as we all know you know log4j is something that at first everybody thought it was just an apache struts vulnerability but it really turned out to be a vulnerability in the the java library itself which affected so many technologies so within that threat intelligence sharing forum we were all exchanging, you know, different varieties that we were seeing throughout the industry, different platforms that were vulnerable, different pieces of software, uh, and through that we were able to prepare ourselves not just for that, you know, POC that hit the internet, um, but many, many varieties of this. And, and again, this is like a day before it it really broke the news. So all of those people participating in that forum were so much more well prepared and ready for that, you know, massive, massive incident that everybody experienced at that time um, because of those threat intelligence sharing platforms. So to me, that's invaluable. I mean, I can certainly say that most of the people in that room probably slept a heck of a lot better those those first few nights than uh, I would say most of the IT staff in the world. So um, I'm, I'm sure you've had experience as well where, you know, threat intelligence has come in and, and helped you in that initial incidence of one of these really high profile attacks that we see. And again,
1: yeah, it's as you say, I mean, that, that, that time sort of the Lock for j sort of piece, it was a really good example. Um, I think everybody was just running around with their hair on fire for the best part of a week. Um, Everyone was just trying to understand, are we susceptible? What are the vulnerabilities? What do we need to do? How do we need to protect ourselves? And as you say, it was, I think it was membership of certain groups. that was being really valuable providing information that was needed. Um, other groups, you could sort of, you definitely sort of saw that there was a silence across the sort of board. Um, and I think it sort of allowed them to sort of, uh, I suppose to start taking a second look really at who we actually had as some of those groups, some of those members, where we was actually sort of sharing at the time, where we was getting information from at the time as well, and allowed us to sort of revise that based on what we were seeing when we actually really did need that. Um, I mean, and again, I mean, I think mean, when you're looking at it, the the types of information that can be shared, I mean, it's just valuable, I think, at various sort of different levels as well. I mean, you're not just looking at that technical, tactical, first line of defense that incident response type piece as well that's coming through because again you're looking at information that's going to try to support the board maybe supporting exco decision making uh, around what they need to do maybe supporting the messaging or the comms that sort of, some of the businesses are having to put out there so i think indicators is great that's one piece but again you're looking at some more of that sort of that forward thinking so what's going to happen next from this where do we go from this and what do we need to do to be proactive and put ourselves in a good position i mean look at some of the other benefits i mean What do you sort of see in terms of threat intelligence from, obviously, you've got a a lot more experience, I suppose, at that sort of first line um, and dealing with some of the the incident response sort of pieces, but uh, I mean, in terms of benefits across the board, I mean, what do you actually sort of see as the good pieces about cyber threat intelligence sharing?
2: So, I mean, another thing I was going to mention is, uh, you know, we're, we're all familiar with the APTs that are listed out on the, the Internet. You know, you have all of the, the numbers and the index and they all have fun names. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to go through and, and thumb your way through that. But the reality is uh, there are a lot of APTs out there that don't have that level of classification. You know, either they're new enough or they fly well enough under the radar that, you know, they're, they're not well known. Um, And if you encounter one of those in an incident, you know, you you don't have the Internet at your back. There's no public information about it. Um, And really, the only place that you can go for something like that is a threat intelligence stream. Um, If you go in there and you share some of the IOCs that you see or you share some of the, you know, just the vestiges of information that you have. um, I've seen a lot of peers, you know, step up and say, hey, actually, we've seen a very similar thing. Either this is how we combated it, or this is how we we saw them attack us. Whatever it may be, um, and that can really you know come in and help you um, in those types of situations. I think also you know just a, a benefit of of that level of engagement is now you have a peer that you're connected with. You've got somebody that you know you you've worked alongside in this kind of high stress situation, um, and you both have that shared experience. So that that sense of community and that ability to communicate with one another and, and kind of have a, uh, a phone, a friend, if you will, in that type of situation is, uh, is invaluable in my, uh, in my experience. Um, I, w- I, wanted to ask too, I mean, you know, we've kind of, we've talked a bit about like, you know, being in these rooms, uh, being on these platforms, having this, you know, information come to us almost, you know, it sounds like by magic, right. But, uh, but what are some of the platforms that you've had the most success with or groups that you've had the most, you know, impact with in, in the threat intelligence sharing uh, area? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I suppose
1: there's been multiple, really, when you sort of look at the different sort of levels. I mean, I've worked mainly in the financial sector um, throughout my career. So I've been exposed to um, fairly regularly platforms such as FSISAC, um, CISP, which is a, a national cybersecurity center, one in the UK. Um, been exposed to some of the, the MISP sort of platforms that come out of uh, some of the certs. Um, but I suppose, I mean, in terms of some of the the ones that we've sort of found the most useful, I suppose some of the interest groups, uh, strangely, because I think they've got a more, they've got a, such a smaller membership, but it's more of a focused membership around the things that matter to you or your organisation. It's the peers that are really sort of relevant to your sector. And I think having been part of those, if they've got the right collective platform for sharing information, I think they're really useful because I think the timeliness of those can be better. And again, I think it comes back to your point as well about that collaboration, being able to foster the trust, being able to pick up the phone to somebody that's within that group and get an answer pretty quickly because it may be something that they've seen or it's been happening to them at the same time. Whereas I think some of the the larger, um, the Isaac sort of style organizations at times, they can be a little bit more unwieldy um, the membership is quite sort of diverse. It's quite large. You don't have that. I think that same sort of personal touch to some of those. Um, but I mean, flipping that around, I mean, what about from, from your own perspective, what are you sort of seen really that's sort of been useful or you think is quite sort of beneficial?
2: Yeah, it's very similar, honestly, on the, on the U S side. And I mean, I guess my experience is a little bit more uh, broad, um, not necessarily focused on a specific industry, but, Um, that's usually my recommendation as well Is like participate in a few different levels of threat intelligence. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, doing those, those larger platforms, you know, jumping into, you know, a MISP stream or something, uh, you know, participating in, for example, we were talking about the FBI, the FBI has, uh, I think it's called InfraGuard as their threat intelligence stream. Um, Obviously it's an incredibly wide net that you're casting uh, in that uh, standpoint, but those types of platforms, you know, you can integrate them into your EDR. You can in- integrate them into, uh, you know, a sim or, or whatever you're using internally, um, and just kind of consume that that bulk of data that you get out of that. Even if a lot of it isn't super useful to you, um, there may be some indicators that come through. Um, on the flip side, you know, that sense of community, that that engagement, and that industry-specific uh, sort of engagement that you can get through a special interest group is super key. Um, you know, like we've been saying, having, having that uh, sort of direct personal relationship with peers in your industry where you're able to come in and say, hey, you know, we're seeing a, an incident here, we're dealing with it, but we're not sure where to go from here. Or, you know, we want to make sure that you're prepared, whatever the, the stance is at the time, just building those relationships so that you have that kind of safety net and that network uh, when things do get bad, uh, can be really useful. Um, you know, I, I can throw out a few special interest groups. I think the, um, investment banking one, IBSIG, um, is really good. I'm not sure if that one's in invite only, but, uh, generally speaking, a lot of these, you know, if you go speak to your peers, either at a conference or you know, if you have any connections in, in the industry, um, you know, a lot of times it's just a matter of asking, Hey, uh, you know, I'm interested in, in more threat intelligence. I'm wondering if there's some interest groups and uh, generally speaking, there's, there will be one out there for, for you and your industry. In terms of actually integrating this into your existing workflows, you know, it, most people out there, they've got some kind of a uh, a SIM, maybe they have a SOC, maybe they have, you know, some kind of defensive layer. Um, I think it'd be useful to kind of talk about where threat intelligence can contribute to that. And, you know, I guess... Where the where the best places to focus that that information stream can be. So, uh, what's been your experience in in integrating that sort of thing, and where do you see the most benefit? Yeah, and I mean that was pretty much the
1: point I was going to sort of come up to as well. It's also I think that's I think that's one of the the issues I've seen sometimes with uh, information sharing or intelligence sharing is there's there's sometimes a bit of a reticence from firms to get too heavily involved in it if they don't have a massive uh, Cti capability of their own. And I think some of that comes down to that ability to either be able to automate uh, sharing of their own information back out um or actually have the means to actually ingest that information in the right way that they can use it um and i know i've seen sort of some of the platforms in the past that i've used for doing this is maybe we've had feeds coming directly into a tip so threat intelligence platform that would then have a connection through to uh, things at the scene and then it can then trigger the alerts off the back of it again otherwise it could be just going straight into edr solutions it could be going straight into the scene but I think you're focusing really there as well is just purely on that sort of tactical, technical IOC type data that's coming through. So they've got the benefits to using those integrations and using those platforms, but I think also there's there needs to be the understanding that you need to have other means to be able to focus on different types of products as you sort of start coming up to maybe more operational or strategic intelligence. So if you're looking at threat landscapes, you're looking at horizon scanning, so you're looking at what's coming up over the future. Um, and again, I think some of those are more polished products that you'd have to have that different sort of means of whether that is a secure platform that you can log into, you can download those, you can maybe send RFIs out so you can request that type of information. Is that something, sort of um, any sort of experience that you've seen around that type of piece as well?
2: Yeah, I mean, there are definitely really strong you know, offerings out there in terms of paid threat intelligence platforms where you know, they have integrations directly into EDRs and, and SIMs that are in, pretty commonly used throughout the industry. Um, there's also, you know, the open source option. If you're willing to put in a little bit more elbow grease, you know, something like a, a MISP can be really strong. Um, it's just a matter of just like a, a SIM or EDR takes uh, in terms of detection engineering. You know, there's a lot of uh, sort of tweaking that you'll need to do along the way. Um, but crucially, adding that additional data in from other environments and other, you know, peers in your industry that are experiencing this, this type of incidents um, it, it's invaluable information. You know, it's uh, if you collect, let's say, 100% of all of the IOCs in your environment, you're probably only collecting a, a tenth of a percent of all of the IOCs on that threat actor that's that are out there in the wild, right? Um, so having that additional layer of data, you know, it can take some tweaking, it can take some kind of, um, I guess, modification or refining, but ultimately it, it's going to really enhance those platforms, it's it's really just about how you you integrate that or how you ingest it, because li- like you're saying, I mean, there's certainly the risk of information overload. You don't want to weigh those IOCs or, or TTPs too heavily. You don't want them to be, uh, you know, something that you're getting tons and tons of false positives day in and day out because you've you know ingested ten million of them and you've only got a hundred thousand of your own. Um, so there's certainly some work to do in terms of weighting it properly and and giving it the right uh, the right level of integration into into what you're already doing. Um, but a finely tuned threat intelligence stream is an invaluable tool in successful detection engineering in my experience. Um, do you have any sort of like tips or tricks for people that are trying to to accomplish that and you know tune those detection streams?
1: I mean I think setting confidence levels around the information that you receive in before that goes across to, say if it comes into a threat intelligence platform, making sure you've got the right confidence levels before that then gets shared across to the seam again. So as you say, it's just reducing that that additional noise for the, uh, the SOC analysts. So when they're seeing alerts getting triggered, they've got more faith, they've got more confidence around that. Um, because otherwise, I mean, I, I've seen where you could be sharing upwards of millions of IOCs potentially across a limited period and you, you could find otherwise that more than half of those are just false positives. They're just invalid. But the, all it's doing is just, just creating a massive task for the SOC analysts having to sit there and just weed their way through these alerts, the majority of which have got no real relevance and they're just not actually a, a live event. I mean, we've I guess we've probably like skirted around sort of fairly well around looking at the uh, the benefits really of cyber threat intelligence and some of the, the ways we can actually sort of get that across and get that using uh, within organizations. But in terms of just some of the actual types of intelligence that is good to share and sort of why, or maybe some of the types of information that you wouldn't necessarily want to share, um, what are your thoughts around that sort of side?
2: Yeah, this is definitely a topic where, uh, you know, again, it, I get a lot of questions. And I, I think it's really because, you know, it's, it's difficult to look at, you know, a third-party integration like this. I'll, I'll use MISP as an example, right? It's, a, it's an open source platform. You're integrating it directly into your environment, Um, You know, if you're not familiar with it, you might not know what it's taking out of your, you know, streams or taking out of your SIM or EDR and and pushing back into the, I would say, the pool for everybody else to see. Um, So it's definitely about knowing your platform and knowing how you're integrating it into your environment. Um, But in terms of what you actually push out and share, um, definitely, you know, you want to make sure that you're looking at sharing things that are, purely related to the threat actors, right? Like you, and that can be a fine line, right? Like let's say the threat actor comes in and hijacks a process on one of your machines. You don't want to share information on that process. You know, there may be things within the process that, uh, you know, are giving away too much or showing too much of your, your internal environment. Maybe that process is handling sensitive information. Um, so, you know, you, you don't want to just take, let's say, a memory dump and, and share it to to the community because who knows what's in that that memory space, right? Um, however, taking something like the uh, the exploit that the attacker used to hijack that process, you know, maybe it's a executable file, maybe it's something that um, you've pulled out of a memory dump and an individual piece of information. You know, those are sort of the the golden nuggets, I would say that. Are safe to share. You know, it's purely related to the threat actor, um, and it's also something that's immensely valuable to everybody else on the platform because it's ubiquitous. You know, it's not necessarily targeting a specific part of your environment. It's not you know something that's endemic to you. It's something that the threat actor has in their sort of tool belt and they're using across the industry. So that's really where I think you want to you want to draw the line or how you want to think about it is like what, what pieces are the threat actors and what pieces are mine. And that's where you kind of decide what to share and what, what to keep to yourself. Has that been mostly your experience as well? It is. And I mean, what I would say
1: is, I mean, a lot of the, the pieces like can say is it's not just necessarily focusing on that, that tactical level IOCs that you can feed through. I mean, because it's also that sort of, There's a lot of interest at the moment from people around more the operational intelligence, so the TTPs, so campaign profiles, threat actor profiles, trying to align those to the MITRE ATT&CK framework, because what that's allowing then is, I suppose, internal teams to take that information, start mapping that against their own controls, start doing that purple team element, uh, working through, being able to test, I suppose, resilience against individual techniques, that these threat actors are actually deploying and you can almost follow that through if you sort of consider almost a red team or intelligence-led pen testing where you're trying to sort of replicate a particular threat actor across your network you've got the various sort of control points you know what controls are in place and you just get able to go out and test each of those actions just taking for an example if you used to look at say credential access or privilege escalation there's multitude different sort of techniques that threat actors would use but if you're doing that in a targeted way, you know the threat actors you're facing, you know how they're operating, you can go and test those specifics and you just get that little bit of extra reassurance I suppose, to your own organization. I mean, have you done any anything around that yourself or have you ever looked at anything to do with the MITRE ATT&CK framework in the way you do look at the incident response side?
2: Yeah, you, you'll uh, you'll have to forgive me. You know, my my mind always jumps right to the uh, sort of nitty gritty boots on the ground stuff. But absolutely, the the higher level operational is really important. You know, profiling individual attackers, having sort of a, a dossier of information, if you will, about you know how this attacker proceeds through an environment. Um, it can really help you fingerprint them because you know not always is an attacker going to use the same individual IOC every time. Right. But from a thought process perspective, a lot of attackers have a very, uh, a very measured way in which they go about exploiting a network. And it often maps to MITRE attack, like you're saying, um, you know, using specific, like maybe an attacker really loves process hijacking, like I was talking about earlier. Um, you know, knowing that an attacker will try to do that, um, is a, hugely beneficial piece of information and maybe even more beneficial than knowing, okay, here's the specific type of exploit that they use to hijack that process. There's a place for both of them. But in terms of what you share, um, it's, first of all, it's a lot easier to say, you know, here's a generalized piece of information about how the attacker has moved through our network rather than a, a single data point. Um, but also, you know, having that kind of uh, operational knowledge can be really crucial um, it's something that I know I've used in, in the past on incidents where um, just knowing, like against a ransomware attacker, knowing how long that attacker generally takes to go from initial compromise to deploying ransomware, it really gives you a timeline for, you know, how long do I have to focus on forensics? Where do I need to to deploy and stop them? You know, when, when in the kill chain do they go after backups or the domain controllers, whatever it might be? Um, just having that. You know, it, it's that, that old saying, right, know thine enemy. Um, having that attacker mindset in your back pocket and knowing where they'll go next or having a good idea, um, you know, it's, it's worth its weight in gold. It's something that can, you know, essentially allow you to preempt what they're going to do rather than react to it, which I think is really crucial. Um, you know, do you see any other uh, benefits to that operational information in terms of participating in, in the community? I do, in a way, because I, get, I think once you've, I
1: say you're using that information initially to try to identify, I suppose, gaps in your own defense, um, so you understand where you, be, where you need to sort of be spending money. And I think having that knowledge is brilliant, because I think there's far too much focus at times. People just go out, they want to buy the next shiny thing, they want to spend or blow their budget on this thing, because they've heard everybody talking about it. And the reality is, it's not what they need at the moment. Um, this type of information, when you can go out there, you can test it. You can test your controls. You can see the gaps. You know these are threats you're facing. You know this is the most likely attack that's going to be coming in. You can then go and actually invest in the right technologies in the right areas and protect the network more effectively. Um, and again, it allows you then to have that foresight to be able to go out there and do that budget planning, so you can actually sit there in advance and be going to the CISO or to the exco and saying to them, "Look, I need extra money for this. This and this. This is the reason we've done this testing. We have these gaps." This is the risk. Um, This is what we're going to need to actually sort of fix that gap.
2: Yeah, TI is something that, uh, you know, I I feel like it fills that intangible gap, if you will, where, you know, you you as an individual organization, you know, you maybe you have a strong defense perimeter. You've got a a great SOC or EDR or SIM or whatever whatever you're using, maybe a combination of all three of those. Um, But ultimately, you know, having the the knowledge and intelligence from that wider community, having those relationships that you can you know draw on, rely on, and in that incident scenario, um, that's just not something that you can cultivate without engaging in that threat intelligence community. So I think you know maybe it's tough to to go out there and you know start crossing the wires and and trying to integrate threat intelligence sharing into what you're doing, but the benefits are you know tenfold of, of the work that it takes. You know the the output that you can get, the the knowledge of attackers and the the readiness that that you can you know experience and, and have within your SOC to these sorts of threats, um, it's just not something that that you can really get on your own. And I think that's that's the benefit of these types of communities. And and I think even just overall, when you're looking at uh, intelligence sharing, I mean, it's that difference
1: sometimes between being reactive, being on the back foot all the time, and being proactive. And the firms that I've seen so far do the proactive, they're forward thinking. They've got these defenses in place they understand these threats they know what's most likely to happen they've got the right controls there and very rarely do you then see them in the news um again the actors is always going to be looking for that low-hanging fruit and i think the key piece here it's not just around intelligence sharing but it's around how you use that intelligence is don't make yourself that low-hanging fruit don't make yourself that target use it more effectively so, I mean, if we was just to round up any sort of last sort of thoughts from our source side, then Jordan, on this, is there anything in particular um, from yourself that you feel is probably any of the sort of key elements around sharing?
2: I think we've really covered it well. You know, threat intelligence—it's—it's uh, it's something that it's—it's it's really all about community. You know, security is a is a community subject to begin with. You know, in terms of learning incident response techniques or. You know, becoming a better defender. A lot of that is about community too, um, but there's really nothing more community-driven than threat intelligence. You know, and it's only as strong as what we all individually contribute to it. So, you know, getting out there, participating in that community. Um, you know, it's a it can be a scary scary subject, but the uh, the benefit of it is, uh, as I said, you know, it's something that you really can't produce on your own, um, and it's something that I think will you know enhance your ability to respond to these types of, of threats in ways that you know you, you may not even realize um, having that support network out there having those um, you know points of contact that you can uh, you can work with and, and sort of bounce ideas off of um, you know just having those those peers uh, not not any one of us knows everything there is to know about computers um, and you know participating in a community like this perhaps when we put all of our heads together we, we can or we can get as close as, as we possibly could, right?
1: Yeah, and I, th- I think just probably the last thoughts from my, my side, it'd be, I suppose, from an organizational perspective, is just don't overwhelm yourself. I mean, understand what your own information requirements are, um, what you're actually looking to try to achieve, from that, plan the best route for information, so what information you're actually looking for and go and find the right groups. If you have to scout around a little bit, you have to sort of mix and match, do that. There's enough groups out there that you'll always get that type of information you want to. Don't just try to sign up for everything. All you do is you just overwhelm your internal team and they'll have a lot of trouble trying to sort of weed out the wheat from the chaff. But um, yeah, I mean, with that in mind, I mean, uh, thanks very much, Ron. I think we've pretty much sort of covered off those points.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode, and a big thank you to Mick and Jordan for providing insight into threat intelligence sharing. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on Twitter and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast is brought to you by Crest, an international not for profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.